They say that uh, growing older is not easy. I'll let you know when I get there. But um, a lot of things happen. Uh, I'm talking to you for my almost 78 years, and my knees are only five weeks old. How could that be? I must tell you, occasionally they cry, occasionally they scream, <laughs> but uh, I know they're there. This is a cute story. If you don't think it's too funny, laugh anyway, all right? Encourage me. But I, I, I got this story over the last couple of days, and I thought it was kind of cute. Three elderly sisters are sitting in the living room chatting about various things. And one sister says, you know, I'm getting really forgetful. This morning I was standing at the top of the stairs and I couldn't remember whether I had just come up or was about to go down. The second sister said, you think that's bad? The other day I was sitting on the edge of my bed and I couldn't remember whether I was going to bed or just woke up. Some of you are laughing with a kind of like, I know that experience. The third sister smugly says, well, my memory is just as good as it's always been, knock on wood. She raps on the table. You sit still, I'll answer the door. <laughs> been there, done that. <laughs> my title this morning is The God of Promises. The God of Promises. There are 8,810 promises in the Bible. Think about that. There's no other book like your Bible. I mean, there's no other God like your God. You can go through the Koran, which I have. You can go through the Book of Mormon, which I have. And I don't see the God of promises there. This is a faith built on God's promises. 7,480 promises in the 8,800 promises are made from God to people. 85% of the promises in the Bible come from God to you. To you, you. 991 promises come from one person to another. And 290 promises come from the people to God. What a bunch of cheapstakes we are, huh? We can't even promise God over a thousand promises that we are going to be faithful. During a particular difficult time in his work in China, missionary Hudson Taylor wrote a letter to encourage his wife, and it contained this sentence. We have 25 cents and all the promises of God, right? We may not have much in the bank. We may not have much education. We may not have a bowl of cherries where life is so sweet, but we've got God's promises and if you've got God's promises and you're claiming them, you are rich beyond measure. That guy and his wife got through the storm with grace and joy. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes this in 1973, quote, in the days when the Bible was universally accepted in the churches as God's word written, they are still accepted that way here, Amen. It was clearly understood that the promises recorded in Scripture were the proper God-given basis for all our life of faith and that the way to strengthen one's faith was to focus it upon a particular promise that spoke to one's condition. In other words, God's promises are myriad. I'm going to share some with you as we get to the end of this service. 
But God's promises are myriad. There are so many of them. And what you do is you go through Scripture and you're going through a particularly difficult circumstance. You go to where that Scripture is that speaks to that particular circumstance and you claim it. And you believe that God is going to answer his prayer because he's built within you the possibility that you can be an overcomer. We'll see that in a little while. As Bible-believing Christians, we know we worship and serve the God of promises. We worship the God of provision. He provides for us. The God who cares about us. And the God whose promises never fail. And I wanted to read that verse again that was written, uh, that was uh, read by our brother early this morning. 1 Kings 8, 56. Listen. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses. In other words, way back 4,000 years ago, when Moses was inspired by God to write the first five books of the Bible, he was being given promises. And the writer says, those have never failed. And I'll give you a few examples. 4,000 years ago, God promised to free the Jewish slaves of Egypt. He delivered on that promise as we read in the book of Exodus and secular history. It's a historical fact. It's a biblical fact, and that's really all you and I need. God promised them a homeland. He delivered on that promise. And when that homeland was desecrated by Rome, the Jewish people were scattered throughout the world. God kept his promise to bring them home again, and he kept it. 1948, Israel was reborn as a nation. That was an answer from God 4,000 years later. God made a promise to sustain life on planet Earth. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he set it up, he formed it, he molded it, he fashioned it, he prepared it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. God made this planet unique. This is a unique planet in all the solar system and in all the universe. And if you read the science that is revealing this, you'll find that this is such a unique planet because it possesses all that's necessary to allow life to be inhabited upon this earth. That's not said about any other planets. And the complexity that goes into allowing earth, this earth to be inhabited and for us to live here is so complex that it's just mathematically impossible that this could have been a happenstance. Before there was an earth or a universe, God promised to shape a world in which people, plants, and animals could survive, and he's keeping that promise. God's in the details. To our first ancestors, he said this in Genesis 1, 29 and 30. Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for food, meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything there is life, I have given green herb for meat, and it was so. Genesis 2.16, And the Lord commanded man, saying, Freely of the garden thou mayest freely eat. God gave us everything we need to inhabit this planet, and then he didn't hold back. If we think about the abundance just in our country, out in the great wheat fields of the middle, of the middle part of the country, Abundance. When God gives, he gives to overflowing. 
God's not going to skimp on his love for you. He's going to give you love unconditional. Everybody else who talks about love seems to put a condition on it. If you do this, I'll do that. You know, the quid pro quo. If you be good, parents, if you're good, then I'm going to do this. God says, follow Jesus, and you should have all of this freely given to you. God promised foods to sustain the lives of all who inhabit the earth, Genesis 8:22. While the earth remains, seed and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Now, this is running contrary to a lot of environmentalists who say you've only got 12 years left before the planet is finished. And God says, I'm going to keep this thing going. God promises the seasonal cycles necessary to support all living things, plant and harvest crops, heat, cool, and water. The planet will not cease. Thousands of years after his promises in Genesis, in 2023, he's still keeping that promise. This was a promise made tens of thousands of words that spell out that promise that he's going to keep the earth so that it will, it will be able to support you. It's the good earth formed by the good God that feeds the boy, the bird, and the beast. Jesus connects the dots between the big picture of nature and the fo personal photo of you and your life. In Matthew 26, 6, 26, he says, Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? In other words, God promised to program the fowl of the air and the beasts of the field with instincts sufficient to feed and house themselves. Birds have nests, the fox has his den, but our needs go beyond those basics, and God's provision and God's promises extend to those needs. So you need more than just food. You need more than just shelter. We're different than the animals in that regard. We need more than just the basic physicality things. We need more than just the things that are physical. We need more than that because we're more than that. We have emotional needs. We have social needs. We have spiritual needs. And God's promises to meet us at the point of our needs. We tackle life's promises. We tackle life's problems by trusting God's promises. When you have an issue in your life, you can go to God. He's not the last resort. I tried everything and then I prayed. Hello? You need to reverse that process, brother. You should try God first. I've tried God first. When I put God at the tail end of my problems, it didn't work. But when I put God up front and made him number one in my prayer life and asked him to help me to get through what I was about to face, I was able to go to, through what I've gone through with a smile. I've been able to go through what I've gone through by encouraging the nurses and encouraging other patients. How come? Because I put God first. I had a testimony because I told people about the number of folks that were up here praying for me and how the prayers of the faith reached God's throne and how he answered them. Sometimes we read God's promises and they run contrary to our thinking. In other words, God says, I promise you this. And meanwhile, we're thinking something else. I'm going to give you a number of examples of how our thinking and God's promises sometimes don't match. 
First of all, number one, we think something that we're going through is impossible. And God promises in Mark 9, 23, all things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible. When you're in God's plan and you're in God's will and God's encouraging you to go forward with something, what God says when other people say is impossible, don't listen to the other people. Open your heart and open your mind. You've got the potential to get through your particular problem with God's help. Amen? How many of you have had a circumstance or had a problem you thought you'd never be able to get through, and yet God came through, and he got through that? Are you lying? Are you just trying to encourage the pastor because he just got back from his, with his new knees, and, he's, and they're not screaming, and they're not crying? No, you're telling the truth. Your evidence that God's promises are true when you claim and believe. Secondly, we tell ourselves sometimes we're in situations where I'm just too tired. I don't have the strength to go on. I just want to give up. I'm tired of the doctors telling me I'm not going to make it. I'm tired of hearing uh, negative things coming into my head all the time. I'm tired of watching people beat up other people on the street. I'm tired of the world's situation. I'm just sick and tired of it all. I want to throw in the towel. I want to give up. And the Bible tells us, don't give up. Don't quit. Hang on. God is not going to let go of you. What God says in verse in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, I will give you rest. In other words, I'm going to give you whatever it takes to get through this particular issue today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Forget about yesterday. Let's focus on today. I'm going to get you through today. Do you believe that? That God can get you through today? Because that's the key to realizing this promise in your life. When God tells you he'll give you whatever you need to get through the day. Third, sometimes we feel like really nobody really likes us. Nobody loves us. And the truth be known, people who think that way a lot of times don't even like themselves. Don't love themselves. And what God says in John 15, 13, and 14, I love you unconditionally. How could God possibly love me when I am like this? How could God possibly love me? I'm the worst Christian in the world. Well, there's a lot of room between you and me on that. I'm the worst Christian in the world as far as I'm concerned. But here's the deal. God loves you unconditionally. He won't leave you where you are. He'll help you get through the day. He'll help you be the Christian that he would have you to be. It's a process. Somehow or another, some people believe and some Christians think that when they came to Jesus Christ, everything was going to change overnight. I don't know about you, but I've heard so many times in my life that they were going to overcome their sin. Everything was going to be perfect. I, listen, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I still am not perfect yet. But you know what I'm thinking? When I go home to be with the Lord, according to the scripture, I'll be perfect then. I'll keep running toward the prize. I'll keep heading toward the goal. Right now, I'll work out my salvation with God's help and your help and the promises in God's word. Number four, under the circumstances, I just can't go on. And God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient. In other words, there are just these moments in life when you just feel that you can't go on. You just want to throw in the towel. 
You just don't have, you just don't believe you have whatever it takes to get there. And God says, I'll give you whatever it takes to get there. My grace, it'll get you there. My mercy, it'll get you there. All God expects from you to do is to hang on even just by your fingertips. If that's all you've got left between his grace and his love unconditional, he'll hang on with you. He'll keep you holding on. He'll never let go of you. Don't you let go of him, amen? Fifth, sometimes we get confused and we, back, and we bog, get bogged down and we don't know where to turn. And God promises in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, I will direct your steps. There's a lot of decisions we have to make in this life, and they can be confusing. There's a lot of different voices we hear coming out of us in the course of this life who encourage our faith or discourage your faith. Now, you're here today, and my prayer is that at the end of this sermon, your faith will have been encouraged. Now, you can hang out with people on the street or in your family or friends, and they can discourage you about your faith. You don't want to hang around with those people too much. You want to hang around with the people who will encourage your faith. You want to hang around with the people who are positive because of their faith so that you can grow in your faith. I mean, this is not a static faith. This is a dynamic faith. I mean, people talk about, you know, these things were 4,000 years old and these things were written 2,000 years ago. What have they got to do with my life? I'm trying to tell you that. I'm trying to share with you and show you right now that God's worth word is for today, and it's for you right now. There are people who are hearing this message right now, and there are parts of it that are touching your head, touching your heart, and giving you a sense of, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's where I am. That's where I've been. Keep telling me what I need to hear. Encourage me as you go along. Sixth, we feel alone, and we feel lost. Have you ever felt that? One of the biggest problems in America today is how many people feel lonely and alone. And they don't realize something if they're believers in Jesus Christ, that they're not alone. Here's what Jesus promised. He promised this in Hebrews 13, 5. I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm here for you. I'm going to look you right in the eye, right in the eye, and I'm going to tell you that I'm here for you. I think of Jesus on the cross, and I think of him with his arms spread wide open like this, and I think on some level that was intentional, to say to everybody, I welcome you. I want you back in my arms. I want you to know I forgive you. I want you to know you've done a lot of bad things and I understand. I want you to know that you thought you could never, ever come back into my good graces, but you can and you have. Verse seven, number seven, I can't forgive myself. How many of you have said that? How many of you look back in your past and said, I've done so many wrong things. God could never possibly forgive me. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you who's telling you that? That is a lie from the devil. You're being lied to. You're being lied to by a lot of people in, in, on the internet, social media. 
A lot of the people who have made mistakes, and now their mistakes come from 25 years ago. The world doesn't forget. The world doesn't forgive. The society doesn't. The internet doesn't. Social media doesn't. They don't forgive and forget. They don't move on. But God forgives. And he's the only one in my book who can possibly forget what we've done. A lot of people say, I can forgive, but I can't forget. And you know what? That's real. In my own life, I've experienced that. You have too. But here's the deal. It's a God thing. God's the only one that can forgive your sins and forget your sins. But he just wants to encourage you. Keep your heart open to the possibility of forgiveness. Keep your heart, be looking for that. Pray for the people who have done harm to you. Pray for them by their name. And when you get a chance to give them a hug, do it. Oh, pastor, you have no idea how hard it is. What do you think, I'm not human? Don't answer that. It's not easy, but all of these promises say you can do it. When we say, I can't forgive myself, 1 John 1, 9, Jesus says, I forgive you. Now, if God forgives you, what else do you need? Number eight, when you're afraid, God promises in 2 Timothy 1, 7, I have not given you a spirit of fear. Fear, anxiety, Worry, I'll use my three favorite expressions. Fear, worry, anxiety are futile. The fact that you're thinking about it, the fact that you're worried about it, the fact that you're dwelling on things, is it helping? Is it helpful, you, helpful for you to keep turning over and over in your head your worry and anxiety? Does it do anything for you? I've often said, and I love it, it's like sitting in a rocking chair and rocking back and forth and expecting you're going to go someplace. Fear, worry, anxiety are futile. They're foolish because, here's the truth, 95% of what you worry about or fear never happens. Look back on your life. 95% of the things that kept you awake a couple of months ago never happened. And maybe they did, and you found out, well, it wasn't that bad. Amen? Amen, amen, amen? Okay. And forbidden. Futile. Foolish and forbidden because God told you not to be anxious. God says when you're anxious and you're fearful and all those other things, you're not putting your trust in him, and that's a foolish thing to do. Worry, fear, anxiety are futile. They're not helping you. They're foolish because 95% of what you worry about doesn't happen. And they're forbidden because God said, cast your care upon me. When you're worried, anxious, frustrated, frustrated here's the verse that you should use. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Think about that. You put your hands, you put your care in God's hands. When you put yourself in Jesus' hands, you're in good hands with Jesus. I love this expression. God's promises are like the stars. The darker the night, the brighter they shine. When things look like they're as bad as they could possibly be, and as dark as they could possibly be, there's light at the end of that darkness. It's written in the stars. It's written in the Bible. If you're a believer, it's written in your heart that God's promises are for you to claim. They're true. Believe, expect, anticipate, hold on to, grab hold of God's promises. When one of his aides was asked, why a recent president made so many promises but kept so few, 
Does that sound like a politician? Oh, yes, uh, yes. When, I'll repeat it. When one of his aides was asked why a recent president made so many promises but kept so few, the answer came back, quote, the president kept all the promises he intended to. That's pretty slick. Pretty slick, Willie. What a contrast to God. Charles Spurgeon wrote these words. God never gives his children a promise which he does not intend them to use. God never gives his children a promise which he does not intend them to use. Every promise I've just read, and that's just a small number, are for you. In your particular situation, and there are so many more. Missionaries Dick and Margaret Hillis found themselves caught in China during the Japanese invasion. The couple lived with their two children in the inland town of Shinku. The village was tense with fear for every day brought terrifying reports of the Japanese advance. At the worst possible time, Dick developed appendicitis and he knew his, wife his, knew his life depended on making the long journey by rickshaw to the hospital. On January 15, 1941, with deep foreboding, Margaret watched him leave. Soon the Chinese colonel came with news. The enemy was near and townspeople must evacuate. Margaret shivered, knowing that the one-year-old Johnny and two-month-old Margaret Ann would never survive as refugees, so they stayed put. Early next morning, she tore a page from the wall calendar and read the New Day scripture. It was Psalm 56.3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. The town emptied during the day, and next morning Margaret arose, feeling abandoned. The new verse on the calendar, Psalm 19.10, Thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. The next morning arose sounds of gunfire and worried about food for her children. The calendar verse was Genesis 50.21, I will nourish you and your little ones. An old woman suddenly popped up with a pail of steaming goat's milk and another straggler arrived with a basket of eggs. Through the day, sounds of warfare grew louder and during the night, Margaret prayed for deliverance. The next morning, she tore the page from the calendar and read Psalm 56, 9. When I cry unto thee, shall, then shall my enemies turn back. The battle was looming closer, and Margaret didn't go to bed that night. Invasion seemed imminent, but the next morning all was quiet. Suddenly, villagers began returning to their homes, and the colonel knocked on her door. For some reason, he told her the Japanese had withdrawn their troops. No one could understand it, but the dangers had passed. Margaret glanced at a wall calendar and felt she had been reading the handwriting of God and his promises. Sound impossible? Nothing is impossible with God. In fact, all things are possible with God. There's more promises from God, and, we, and I want to leave these with you tonight, this morning. John 14, 1-3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. To those who have been born again, sinners, confess, repent, believe Christ was crucified on a cross, that he was dead, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead physically, materially. Then you and I have found a forwarding address 
if you can claim that promise this morning, that those who have put their faith and trust in the crucified Jesus and know that he died for you, for your sin, and if you confess your sin to him this morning and ask him to forgive you of those sins and ask him, tell him you believe that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and you want to follow him, ask him to forgive you of your sin, ask him to come into your heart, and this morning, I promise you, you can start to claim the promises of God, and you will find, as I have found after living for Jesus since I've been 15 years old, that God is faithful. He keeps his promise. Do you believe it? If you believe it, say amen. amen. Let's pray. And so this morning, Father, we thank you for your promises, and we know that they are true. And I pray if there be anyone here this morning who has not received Christ as Savior, they wouldn't leave this meeting house until they do. And I pray if there be those who on the Internet or here this morning who have received Christ as Savior, share that truth with somebody. Thank you for all your many blessings and promises in Jesus' name. Amen.